According to the Tax Justice Network, a well-known international organization, the United States is now the country with the greatest degree of financial secrecy in the entire world. Banks and corporations move in the shadows, concealing their operations and vast wealth. What are the ultra-rich up to behind the scenes? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. There's also a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book, Understanding Marxism, which includes a new lengthy introduction. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Have you sold all your stocks this week or last week? Did you get rid of the huge portfolio so that you're shielded? Yes, the miracle, though, is that even though my portfolio is, as you say, huge, seems to have had no effect at all. Well, I wanted to say that unlike you, Richard, the uh, the 50 richest billionaires in the world have had a tough time this year. I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal business and finance section from earlier yesterday. The 50 richest people have lost a combined $563 billion this year. That's right, everybody. 50 people have lost a combined $563 billion this year. It just, before we get into our main topic, Richard, it just struck me because if these people had been comatose for, you know, let's say this year between January 1st and today, it wouldn't have impacted whether they had lost or gained any money because it's nothing that they do that accrues this kind of great fortune or a great fortune that now has a little bit of a dent in it. Quite a headline. I mean, it says so much. And then we see a picture of Bill Gates and Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. You think all of the celebrity culture around billionaires, when in fact, if you think about this headline, that they could have lost $563 billion in the last year and still have more than $100 billion in the case of the top four there. I mean, it's a criminal system. Well, you know, there's another way to appreciate your point. We could have, as a nation, said to these people, we have enormous social problems in our education system, in our poverty, in our racial divide, and all this, and $500 billion would go a long way. We could eradicate hunger. We could eradicate homelessness. So how about we tax you what you would have lost anyway on the stock market? 
you'll still be the richest people on this planet, just like they are today after having lost that money on the stock market. But instead of the money being lost on the stock market, it would have actually gone to help really solve and change the social situation. The tax on these people is as unfazing of them as are the losses they have, which ought to be a lesson that look what we could do and still can do if we tax people who have ridiculous amounts of money, leaving them with still ridiculous amounts, but being able to solve real problems with that money. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I'm looking at the Jeff Bezos number. Jeff lost $61 billion this year, Richard. He lost $61 billion. But alas, he still has $130 billion to go. Exactly what you said. Exactly what you said. If, if we as a society had any kind of sensible or even mild taxation on these billionaires and had taken $56 billion of his $131, what it would have been $80 billion at that time, you know, if you demand that, then the capitalists and their apologists in the media, which are, there's an army of them, they would say, look, you're taking out all of the incentive that is required for people to invest their money. If you, if you take that money from them, that's a disincentive that restrains capital flow, that messes with a system that works so well. And as a consequence, you will be branded as, well, I don't know, you might be branded as a communist or a socialist. It's wonderful always these selective arguments. When the stock market goes down, nobody says, gee, this is going to be a big disincentive because the people who put that money in the stock market, they know that it goes up and down unless they're very strange. And they sit there and they are not much phased when it goes down. They then at best move their money around from one kind of investment to another and wait for it to go back up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The disincentive is a very selective argument designed to get politicians to have something to say to justify the service they provide to the capitalists who put them in their jobs. The rest of it is really just verbiage that has no function at all. Let's go to our main topic for today. I'm looking at the Times of India. Mumbai is the byline. The United States of America has climbed from the second rank held by it two years ago to the top of the list of the countries in the Financial Secrecy Index, which was released on Tuesday. According to Tax Justice Network, which issues this biannual index, the USA dramatically expanded the gulf between itself and the rest of the world by enabling the biggest supply of financial secrecy ever recorded by the index, nearly twice as much as Switzerland, which currently occupies second place position to be followed by Singapore. As per the previous index in 2020, the top three positions were held by the Cayman Islands. Well, we'll talk about that. USA and Switzerland. According to the Tax Justice Network, an estimated, get this everybody, an estimated $10 trillion is held offshore beyond the rule of law by wealthy individuals through secretive arrangements. 10 
trillion dollars. I mean, these are, anyway, the numbers are so staggering. People don't know the difference, Richard, between a B billion and an M million, much less a T trillion and a B billion. But $10 trillion is a lot of money. An enormous amount of money. And I want to be the first to congratulate the United States on reaching number one. I, I know how important. USA. Yeah, that's right. USA. That's right. We should send to Trump should be out there uh, leading the cheering for this kind of secrecy. I want to also commend, in case people don't know it, the remarkable state of North Dakota, South Dakota. I get them confused sometimes in terms of this particular piece of information, maybe South Dakota. But they lead the country, one of those two states does, in having been doing this, by the way, for a very long time, many, many years. This is not new. It may be new that we're number one, but creating secret accounts, carefully crafting the law so that you can set up an account and basically hide who the actual owner of the money is, uh, this is something that that state there, I think as I think about it, it's South Dakota. I don't want to misrepresent poor North Dakota if I'm mistaking these. And there are other states that are copying. And the reason is not far to go. You have to pay some fees to set up these secret accounts. You probably have to have an office somewhere in the in some building there, or at least a mailbox that you have to pay some fees to, some accountants and some lawyers. It makes good money for the few local people. That's why you will see more and more states copying the Dakotas in terms of wanting to get this business there. That's part of why the United States has become number one. And here are some of the ironies people should understand. Some years ago, Switzerland, which had long been the number one country, was pressured by, you guessed it, among others, the United States to restrict its secrecy. And the argument of the United States was that rich Americans were hiding their money in Switzerland. And the way this would work is they would put their money, convert it from dollars to Swiss francs, deposit them in a Swiss bank, and then instruct the Swiss bank to buy shares of companies around the world, including, by the way, American companies, and then because they were, the shares were held in the name of that bank, no taxes would be paid by these individuals. And as a result, the American government told the Swiss government, you got to do something about this because we're losing out on tax money. Well, here's the joke. The United States loses just as well if the secret money where you don't report what you're earning with it happens to be in an American bank as opposed to a Swiss bank or a Cayman Island bank or a Luxembourg bank or a fill in the blank because it's done all over the world now. It's a way for banks to get deposits. That's what they're in business to do, not to look too closely at who is or isn't really the owner of this. They could care less as long as the money is deposited with them and as long as they can charge the usual fees, maybe a discounted fee if you give them enough money. That's all they're, they're interested in because, as you know, they are capitalist banks and, as they tell us, 
profit is their bottom line, why the world should they look closely at where the profit comes from, especially if doing so could lead the rich depositor to move his or her money to some other bank, which wouldn't look so closely at it. It's a hustle. It's a business. It's been going on a very, very long time. We've had the Panama Papers. We've had occasional exposés where we have been able to see in detail who the people are, richest people in the world, keeping their money in these secret accounts. And the reasons, by the way, are a little bit more complicated than you might imagine. Probably the number one reason is to escape taxes. So in other words, what this means is that rich businesses and rich individuals, by keeping their money in a secret account that nobody can trace, which is exactly what these things are, then simply don't report their income because it goes to the bank which is holding their money, and they don't report it and therefore they don't have to pay a tax on it. That's not legal, by the way, but it is what the secrecy enables wealthy people to do, and wealthy corporations do it as well. But besides evading taxes, here are some of the other things that drive this very big and profitable business. You're a politician, and you're taking money from some corporation or some rich person. This has to be hidden. This has to be denied. You can't be a politician who might be exposed as having a very big bank account in a local bank. So that individual politician needs to have a secret bank account so that the corporation buying his or her vote puts the money in the secret account. There's no record kept. The politician's name is not linked to it, unless, of course, there's a hack through the computer the way the Panama Papers and other exposés have happened. So there's a lot of politicians taking what really amount to bribes that are hidden in this way. Here's another reason. You're very wealthy and you're caught up in a very ugly divorce. You look like you might be losing or maybe already are losing the legal shenanigans around a divorce. So you worry that they'll go after your money. So now your money begins to shrink. What does that mean? You move money away from where people can find it and tap it so your spouse gets a piece of it, and now the money vanishes. And you have a story to tell about a bad investment or whatever, or you have no story at all that you have to tell because the money simply isn't there. It has vanished into air. And then there's all the transactions that are illegal. I might mention that not the least of the uses made of secret accounts is for countries, I won't mention any names, that are subject to sanctions. Well, now you can't be a company, I'll give you an example, you can't be a Greek shipping company that is carrying cargo for a sanctioned other country, you know, a North Korea, an Iran, a Cuba, nowadays a Russia, and so on. You can't have that because if there's a transaction visible that the Russians, say, are paying the Greek 
transport company for shipping those sanctioned materials, that will get the Greek company into difficulty. So there isn't any paper connecting Greece to Russia. Instead, what happens is the two parties to this arrangement each use a secret bank account. Maybe each of them has one, and money goes from one secret account to another secret account. No record, because the banks doing this do not have to file. That's what they get in the countries or the states of the U.S. where this is all legal. They can do all of this, so the sanctions get evaded. And then there's the drug and illegal money that moves around the world that has to have no paper trail behind it. I could go on and on. But what I want to emphasize is everybody involved in this business knows all about it. All you have to do is get a rich friend. If you don't have one, go find one get to know him or her, and they will tell you what they've learned in their lifetimes about where you go and who you talk to to set up these accounts and to get the benefit of the secrecy. There's no great difficulty. Rich people have been doing this for many, many, many decades, and large corporations, and even not so large ones, have likewise taken advantage of it. The United States knows all about it. It has because it's been exposed over and over again. But the United States is not doing anything about it. And if you think that's an accident, well, then I will sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. The United States could go to places like the Cayman Islands or to states like South Dakota or to countries like Luxembourg and say to them, "Uh, are you kidding? This stops early tomorrow morning at eight o'clock or else. We are this big, powerful country. We go thousands of miles away to fight a war in Afghanistan, and it has much less impact on us. Anything that happens in Afghanistan has much less impact on us than these secret accounts have had for decades. But the reason the government doesn't do anything about it is the same reason that those accounts exist. They are wonderful assets for the richest people in the world and the biggest corporations in the world to stay that way. And for that reason, the accounts remain, the banks remain that do it, and the governments who could stop it somehow never get around to it. Yeah, I think it's so important, the point that you're making, that the government actually knows everything and the financial institutions that work with the government Uh, And in collaboration with the government, they know everything about financial transactions internationally. So surveillance is not the problem. I mean, Cuba and and Venezuela, for instance, can't make financial transactions even with of the smallest type, because once those transactions are recognized, and they will be, the company that you know was able to give them credit or sell them some product they will be immediately sanctioned. And so as a consequence of this global surveillance system of everything that's going on transactionally in the world capitalist economy, it gives the U.S. government this perch, this ability to see everything. So I was talking to um, someone who was here at the United Nations from the 
Venezuelan foreign ministry. And he told me, you know, Venezuela is not voting at the UN right now because they're behind on their dues, but they can't pay their dues because they can't make a financial transaction through any financial institution to pay their dues at the UN because whatever institution was to actually process their money would actually be subject to sanctions. I mean, it's at that level. And so obviously it's a secrecy in one way, but it's kind of like secret in sort of plain view. And again, if the Tax Justice Network and these other institutions can sort of show where the money's being hidden, obviously the government which has, and the state, which has such enormous resources and such a long arm could reach to it. I want to just, in our last couple minutes, Richard, I want to talk about this issue, which is in one way so obscene, so ridiculous, so bizarre. In a way, you can kind of laugh about it because it's, it is so bizarre and so obscene. By the way, it's South Dakota, $500 billion in a tax haven, all located in two blocks on what's called Phillips Avenue in a city in South Dakota. Right. Anyway, but I want to talk about this as a form of class war. Because, you know, when Michael Brown was killed by the cops in Ferguson and there was that uprising against the police in Ferguson that gave birth to the Black Lives Matter movement, police violence was one issue. But the other issue was the way the government was, the government of Ferguson was actually getting money, which was by carrying out massive arrests of the population, a working class, predominantly black population. And then when people couldn't, you know, pay the fines the city government was able to add more fines. And so in 2013, the year before Michael Brown was killed, Ferguson, a city of 21,000 people, issued 32,975 arrest warrants for nonviolent offenses, mostly driving violations. And that became the second biggest income earner after tax revenue for the entire city. So it was really a kind of tax, but directed by the cops who were just kept arresting people, charging them with every little offense. Like if you drive five miles over the speed limit, you can't pay the fine, then the fine doubles, et cetera, et cetera. People were going to jail in order to sort of reduce their fine. Anyway, it was that kind of police state system. But when we think about this huge amount of wealth, hidden, secret, but not really a secret because the government knows where it is and could collect it if it so chose, and then you have this war against working class people. This is a form of class warfare, and we should treat it as such. I mean, it should, in addition to its bizarreness and obscenity, it should make people angry. Well, you know, let me introduce a little bit of history here, just to embellish, if you like, the point. The history of the collapse of feudalism, the system in Europe that preceded capitalism, much of the breakdown of feudalism happened when wealth-strapped feudal lords began loading up the serfs underneath them with more and more taxes. They didn't call them taxes all the time. They called them fees, sort of like in Ferguson. They didn't call it a tax. They called it a summons, but it's just a game, a verbiage. 
what you're doing is squeezing more and more. And eventually the serfs exploded and made that revolution in France that we call the French Revolution, or for that matter, the American Revolution, which, if you recall, had something to do with taxes that the King of England put, for example, on the tea that those folks in Boston dumped into the harbor. So loading up on taxes with the mass of people being class warfare victims as the burdens of the state get shifted onto the shoulders of those least able to pay, that's usually a forerunner of very hard times and very big changes. You can't keep doing that is the lesson of history, but it's a lesson that the United States seems determined never, ever, ever to learn. And you might also to get more current in our history, know that there was a remarkable mass movement in France just a few years ago called the Yellow Vest Movement that really shook up French politics and continues to do so. And what started that? Yep, yet another tax, uh, this time on fuel that was passed in order to get the government of France out of the jam that it was in etc., etc. So this endless game in which you tax the mass of people, because in this country, you're not willing to go and get the money that has been illegally avoiding taxes for decades and has been hidden because of all other kinds of shenanigans. That's a sign of who runs the society, who gets away with this kind of tax evasion, and who therefore pays more and more and more. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. There's a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolff's book, Understanding Marxism. It has a new lengthy introduction. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.